This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host. It's Chunk! Should I do the truffle shuffle for the audience? It's not a visual podcast. Yeah. Insert the noise of crickets there. Welcome to Death by DVD. This is the first of our slasher special month. We didn't come up with a name for this yet, and maybe we just came up with the idea right now. Who knows? But it's October. It is spooky season, as the kids are calling it, so we are going to uh, paint the month red and talk about slasher movies yay we look we're doing a halloween <laughs> thing we're we're fitting in with the kids yes and i think uh we'll be doing this throughout the month and then the last week of the month you'll have a lot of special like mini death by dvds to listen to to just help you churn through the halloween season that nobody gets to celebrate because there's a hideous disease killing most of America. Yeah, because plague numbers are rising, we thought we would give you a treat instead of a trick with a shit ton of slashers. Last year, we really made you suffer, and personally, if it makes any difference, we both suffered doing the entire Children of the Corn series, and I, I, I think I'm good for life with that. I mean, even <laughs> if a new one comes out, which I think they actually just finished a new one uh, in Australia, the Australian Children of the Corn. I'm not going to watch it. I'm done. I'm... <laughs> Fucking don't care. I, I've been done with Children of the Corn. I am very much done with Children of the Corn. Um, there's just I don't know how they've been able to mine, what like how many hours of like probably twenty some odd hours of film out of a thirty page short story. That's pretty impressive. The thing that's really baffling to me is how none of it's good. How so many oh, people have taken no. a stab at it. And, even the first one is very good. Yeah, not a single Children of the Corn movie is really enjoyable. John Gulliger, I think, is the closest to doing an okay one, and that still wasn't very good. Unlike tonight's movie, though, because we're going to kick off Slasher Month with a with a pretty good movie. I like it. Um, I honestly, we'll probably argue about this later. We recently did Relic, which is admittedly one of the best movies of the year, but I personally think this is better. I liked this more. I think it is a return to the slasher that we have oh so missed for the last, what, 25, 30 years? I will debate you on this topic already immediately, because the film we are discussing is Random Acts of Violence by Jay Baruchel? Barchel? Barchel? <laughs> I still can't pronounce his name correctly. Uh, Jay Beirut. Jay Beechnut. Jay Bruschetta. I'm going to say Barshel or Barshel. Barshel? He is, he's a good friend of Seth Rogen's. You might know him that way. He's an acquaintance of James Franco, one could say. He's a very talented guy, and um, I'll probably break his balls the entire episode for no reason outside of I'm a miserable asshole and I get pleasure from making fun of other people. But I think he's an incredibly talented guy. I'm sure he's made you laugh before in some faculty or another, but in this situation, I'm, I'm like at his feet. Like, I feel like Wayne and Garth when they meet Alice Cooper, I'm not worthy. I loved this movie. I, I've seen it three times now, a three- whole times and each time it was just as effective as the first i i praise uh at the temple 
of random acts of violence. Well, you said a return to the slasher film, and I don't view it like that as much as I view it as a deconstruction of a classic slasher film. Yeah, like it's an episode Because it doesn't rely on slasher tropes, and it takes the idea of an actual slasher, an actual serial killer, very seriously. It's not trying to um, make it cute, fun, funny. It's really taking what violence is and violence being inflicted on people and making it very real and visceral again. And I think that's what it accomplishes more than anything, of taking a trope, a film trope, and then turning it on its head and making you really feel for what um, an incidence or incidences like this would be in real life to where it's not just a guy in a hockey mask and it's not just uh, annoying teens getting killed. This is real people having real acts of violence inflicted upon them and they're grisly, they're disturbing, and it more aligns itself with something like, I'd say, Henry of Portrait of a Serial Killer than uh, anything else, something along those lines. The general plot of this movie is a comic book writer who has has something that's happened in his past that he is mentally trying to come to grips with. Um, He's turned all of his uh, past experiences into this comic book. And um, also, you're not really supposed to know they're his past experiences, but you can piece two and two together pretty easily. Well, yeah, just throwing out there spoilers. I mean, mean, obviously, when you listen to Death by DVD, you have to know we're going to get in-depth with what's going on with the plot. But what makes this movie unique is the fact that once it hits you at the end, you're shown visuals throughout the film that might be flashbacks or... You know, it, it, you, you're not really certain because what you're introduced to is an artist. So some of the direction here, you can kind of get a system of disbelief that you're in the artist's mind. And some of these flashbacks, they connect and they make a little bit of sense. But once it's unveiled to you the, at the ending, it's kind of like Parasite. It's very, very effective at the end of the film. And it kind of leaves you in that little bit of shock. That Once you know the trick, there's not a lot of treat left. But what makes it fun the next or third time, if you're like me and watch it, a few dozen times, is the fact that the violence, as you were touching upon earlier, is just so devastating realistic, which is why I kind of feel it is a return to slashers. Uh, but but just capitalizing on what you said, the realistic value and, and how this really transcends, I guess, kind of the idea of a movie and it puts a real face on a killer, makes it a real situation, that's how why I feel it's kind of a return to the original format and the original formula because when you were going The original concept of what a slasher film is supposed to be, yes. You're dealing with fear and mystery. I mean, you don't necessarily know or care why Michael Myers or Leatherface is doing what they're doing, but in this situation, you have such a a level of real reality and piecing the plot together. I think it's a compliment and a return to all of these ideas that have kind of just been lost as we moved into the soulless era of films like Scream and that god-awful Cupid Valentine movie that I can never remember the fucking name of, but I referenced endlessly. Uh, Is it Valentine? Oh, yeah, that could be it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, what happened to the slasher film after Halloween, after Friday the 13th, and then a barrage of, you know, subsequent slasher films after that is the um, kind of the popularization of slasher as a concept and a franchise. And they became very pop-oriented. They became a flavor of the month type situation. And this is a return to making violence realistic. Um, ba- going back into the plot, um, it's a very like skinny plot, and that really works to its advantage. 
because it's more about themes and concepts than it is about like plot devices. It's so much more about story and character. And there's a serial killer that, um, the I-90 killer. In the story, it's the I-90 killer who, between 1987 and 1991, committed six murders that are known of, but there could have been multiple more. Oh, and the comic book, he's done a um, a comic book of this this slasher character uh, who is slasher a real-life guy. And he's, he's honestly turned him into, a again, a pop representation of all these things that actually happened. And pretty much once... Um, he's decided to cancel his comic book and stop making. Well, it's uh, not like he's canceling it. Stop it's making just, the comic. It comes to an end. I mean, uh, it's one of the themes throughout the movie that all things do come to an end, and not so much in that time is a flat circle concept, but things run its course. Things have a beginning and a middle and an end, and sometimes they're prolific when they're finished, and sometimes you find out that it's absolutely masturbatorial, and that's where our lead Jesse's really struggling because. He understands that this has become kind of a counterculture icon, and it's not that he isn't pleased with the success of his work, but he knows people don't get it, and as he says at the beginning of the film, people want all sugar all the time. They don't care about the substance, they don't really care about what you do, which I think definitely is an overall statement of a lot of fandoms, not just horror, but, you know, I'm not trying to pick on anything, but in general... There's a lot of toxicity, and that again is a theme with the movie, is toxic fandoms and toxic fans, so he just wants... A wholesome, not wholesome, but he wants an ending. He wants something that matters so he can move on and he's digested this part of his life despite being haunted by it still. He just feels personally that this is where it's it's got to end. It's not. It, he's tired of the fans. He's tired of where it's gone in general. And the issue, too, is that people don't see it for what he sees it as. People uh, like bringing up Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street. The character is a child killer, yeah, but it's it's more than insinuated that he's a pedophile. I mean, he didn't just kill the kids, but you see people happily celebrating it with tattoos and t-shirts, and again, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but the whole point and the fear has been completely stripped of it. The reality has been taken away because now it's celebrated. It's just as much as like a Sesame Street or Disney character when you see Freddy Krueger. You just, you don't go, oh god, that guy fucked kids and then killed them. And that was kind of the point and the fear behind the character, not a jocular buddy you want to have a beer with. Well, after he's, you know, he's going to finish this off this series off the uh, killer decides to start up again because he basically wants to be remembered because this is his art that uh, he didn't have to do anymore because it was being chronicled in this comic book. But once the comic book stops, he has to come back and finish the series himself the way he wants it as the, uh, the, the main kill, the main killer in it. Uh, and th then it's a trek on, as they're on this road trip of this slasher character, slasher man, which is very eventful. At first I didn't like the fact that they called the character slasher man until I realized later that it's really kind of apt for what they're saying about the character in itself, that he is very vacant and empty. He's just a slasher man. He has no personality. Well, he's inspired only by his art. He only lives through that, and that's something that I think is frightening with the development of the character. When you finally get to his reasoning and why he has decided to continue killing again, 
it's it's a shocking concept of what you will do for art, what you will do or what you consider art to even some extent. And that, too, is a discussion with Jesse when he's meeting with a, a local DJ while they're on their road trip. And obviously the guy's not a fan and there's a conflict between the two on the air. And you start realizing that the direction that Jesse intended these comics to be is, is, is misinterpreted by the masses. So people either love it for the wrong reasons or hate it because they have the misconception that he doesn't care. And two, you know, you have this personal aspect where he's obviously been affected, we find out later in the film, by Slasher Man, the true being behind this fictional entity that he's created and copes with it differently you know and you have all the stages of that of people that are angry people that are hurt and then you have jesse who is just trying to succeed at some format with pretty much vultures at his tail i mean like his girlfriend at one point gets incredibly pissed off at him because she's becoming successful pretty much because of his ventures and he's upset with being treated like shit and the misconception that he doesn't care about what has happened with the i-90 murders and it's just nothing really is going right for him and it goes back to why i feel he wants to end slasher man because nothing is sitting right there's not been any his art has just been misinterpreted but that's pretty much what the actual i-90 killer feels too he was being able to successfully live without murdering because of Jesse's art, but now it's a misinterpretation of why he was doing this, and he has to show the world. There has to be a perfect ending. And probably, I think the thing that really works best in the movie is how it handles its violence. Um, there's nothing cartoonish. There's nothing fun about it. Every scene of violence is incredibly visceral, um, incredibly manic as well. It's not like some measured, artfully done Argento scene. No it giallo is, black gloves. Um, well, it's not just that. It's just like the, he uh, the the first real big scene of murder. He just starts viciously stabbing people and like I think that's in a the realistic best. way. I mean, because he gets so psyched out before it. It's not like the killer just approaches slowly and menacingly from the woods and starts preying upon the victims. He he freaks out and is hitting himself and and slamming the lid uh, the lid slamming the his car and is just. He's pumping himself up to see if he can still do it, and then when he unleashes, it's like Jaws. It's like that uh, when when you actually see Jaws come up and he takes Robert Shaw, and it's just this vicious display of teeth and blood and people screaming, and it's awful. It's it 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 makes you almost want to cry just because of the amount of emotion and you're and the way the characters that are, are killed are introduced. I thought was one of the most clever tools in the movie because they aren't essential characters. It's just showing you that the slasher man is getting ready, that he is coming out of retirement, and you have no value for them. You don't care about them. You don't have any backstories. And what's impressive is the fact that still their death affects you menacingly. I mean, it's the very first death in the movie, and you only see one person really die. Uh, well, you don't really see any of them die. You just can feel almost the, the manic and static energy in the pain. It's disgusting, but at the same time, it's so articulate and well done. You, I, To me, it was amazing. It made my eyes tear up just because it was so visceral and violent, and that is beautiful. I'm so happy to see something that is not just violence. It's It has a point. It has a point, and this the way that the violence is done is so realistic, and it, it really does capture your imagination of what incidents like this would actually be. It's, uh, it's, it's not like a movie. It's done in almost this kind of rabid dog sense of way of uh, doing things that kind of like you know real murder would be. And throughout the, uh, the, the film, as we get to know these characters, it's characters we actually – care about and a lot of that is done through 
somewhat the script, but the script is honestly somewhat thin at times as far as dialogue, but the actors make the dialogue they have really work and it's all due to just performance it's almost like uh, robert altman directed slasher film at times because yeah. um, there's a lot of overlapping dialogue <laughs> that's that's great though i mean but what you're what you're really pointing out is it's not that it's not that tacky kevin smith tarantino look how witty i am dialogue no. I mean, there's it's just like we're doing now. There's over talking out of excitement and there's a there's a natural flow to it that really gets you behind the characters, because even you might not be an artist and you might not be on a road trip or doing anything similar to them. But you can see yourself as these characters because they're just you and me and people that have common Probably interests. Probably the most telling scene in the film is after the first set of murders that they've realized that somehow that they're being followed, they're being involved. Um, they're staying at the motel. And Jesse comes up to his his artist friend, and they're trying to discuss what's been going on throughout the day, and they just kind of mutter bullshit to each other. And Jesse just kind of like goes, yeah, and he kind of cuts off his sentences, and they're overlapping each other. And yeah, I think I'm just I think I'm just gonna go back and draw or something. I don't know. And it's just like it's a very poignant scene of showing how like scatterbrained all these people are and how the effect of today's events, nobody's like, well, what do you think the, uh, the I 90 killers or whatever the fuck it is, the, uh, has, it's doing. And we're given a lot of, a lot of stupid plot devices, all this other stuff. It's two people who are beside themselves trying to like come to terms with what is going on right now. These very unreal events. And it's very realistic in that sense. And that really does help the story move along. As Joe Bob Briggs has always said, there's a, uh, almost no plot to get in the way of the story. And that really works with this film because it's so much more about tone and emotion than it is telling a bunch of random, like point by point ideas to get you to the scene. Cause it's mostly just a film about like a concept. Fuck all these little details about what, like, why are you doing this? Well, my mother, da da da. Like, that's it's so irrelevant it's not about a a bunch of like that's where i mean that i think it's a return to some of the more lost aspects of slasher films and things like the texas chainsaw massacre you don't have any clear understanding why they're doing things the way they're doing things from the gas station back to the house that you find leatherface at and it still manages into this day to be one of the most terrifying experiences in the world let's go to something like the exorcist at the beginning of the movie he finds this statue later on you see it while she's possessed there you go that's it. Do we need the whole Mesopotamian backstory of Pazuzu? No, it was still terrifying enough as it is, but now everything has to be a 12-part series with an enormous backstory. And what you're handed out here, I think, is a, a return to the actual fear of, you don't need to know that Freddy Krueger was this, this, and this beforehand, or that Jason drowned and now he's back. It's just somebody that is real and is killing and is harmful. I think the title, it pretty much says it all. I think the title is probably the most important thing about this, uh, like what you're getting ready to get involved in before you click on it on Shutter. Random acts of violence. And, and that's the very last line of dialogue, too, and I think something that needs to be focused on is that 
Real art is born from truth. Everything else is random acts of violence, which is fairly poignant. And I hate terms like this. I say it all the time. But the scene you were discussing a little while ago, the uh, the motel scene, it's it the way it's set up and the way you get to see the insides of these characters and how they deal with each other is one of those Hitchcockian things. And it's very clever with showing the characters because as they are leaving their first stop, which was a very rough radio interview that didn't go the way that Jesse thought it was going to, they stop and there's a police stop and they see something and it's a horrifying murder. The three victims that you saw being stabbed previously. And it's, it's set in stone that something is reflective inside of Jesse with that. And you find out in the next sequence when he's doing a fan signing that it's, it's pretty much from his art. And while he was doing the radio interview, a caller called in with a very mysterious name that we found out in a scene previously with his girlfriend was one of the very first victims, if not the first victim. And they say what might be a Bible passage, what might be a date. We find out it has a very specific meaning later on. And Jesse's struggling to come to terms with it. And you realize, and everyone else with him, Jay's character points out that the murder they saw on the side of the road is something that Jesse drew. And they go to the hotel after that. And you have such a depth with how all of these characters deal with the problems that Jesse's just kind of interruptive and doesn't see. It's not that he doesn't care, but he's, he's sort of disassociating his girlfriend played by Jordana Brewster is just upset things. And this is where they get into the argument I had mentioned earlier, where something's going very well for her on the coattails of Jesse's work. And he's not as receptive to it because he's been hurt. All of them are dealing with things differently. Uh, you know, Jay Bruschetta is getting drunk and hanging out, which leads to the assistant outside alone. And this is where things begin to get personal. And her murder is, again, This very is the realistic. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer nod, I felt. I felt the, the, the just swift spoilers snapping of her neck was like the home invasion scene where Otis and Henry are filming it. And then later they keep replaying it back. Because you've got a really clean cut Texas Chainsaw reference at the beginning of the movie. But I don't know. It was invocative enough for me. But like, I don't know. Overall, this movie, getting towards the end of it, um, as we track through, like, there's this kind of madcap race to almost get away from the killer and the killer just kind of ever closing in on them, murdering a random family because it's in the comic book, because that seems to be his MO, which is murdering people like it is throughout the issues of Slasher Man. Well, that's what we find out with the mysterious numbers that he's been leaving, that they're not, in fact, Bible verses, but they're specific pages from the Slasher Man comics. So he is, again, invoking his art through Jesse's. And uh, not to spoil it, but we eventually find out that there's a yin and yang to all of this. And we get to the death of... Jay uh, Baloney? I don't know. I can't do what Hank does. I can't come up with a thousand names. Jay Baramundi. Oh, I can do it all night long. I wrote a list. That's all tonight's notes are, baby. His death probably affected me the most in the film, though, overall. Because they don't focus on it. Yeah, I with my very first viewing, I, I just figured, okay, he's died in the wreck. And I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And when I came back to the film a second time, I realized as the title is incredibly suitable, in a random act of violence, this character has died, which, again, is as shocking as real life. Because when somebody dies, it's not some long-winded death scene of them spitting up blood. It's usually they're dead. There's no close-ups. They just die. And there's die. no close-up in this. He's just in the back all of a sudden dead, and we barely see. You just see him lean forward. I was like, are his brains hanging out? Until later you get a nice visual of what has happened to him. And I'm talking later. I'm talking like 10 minutes later. When uh, all of his uh, his his art 
is back at his house and he has them set up for the for a lovely Christmas dinner and you see what's basically left of Jay's uh his head which is not much and you still aren't really 100% sure what happened to him but he he was shot he got shot as again another random act of violence he he did not come for some artfully done thing he pulls out a fucking uh M60 and just blows away a family and then starts shooting at their car so um the the weapons aren't cute and funny and clever guns knives just anything he can use well, to what makes inflict it horrifying harm. isn't so much the fact that it's a gun but it's what they realize before the violent the random act of violence is committed this is right when Jesse and company realize that it is comic book pages so they whip out a graphic novel and see what's going to happen right before it happens and you don't want to believe it and then of course you know you've got the old let's kill a kid and you don't even see it but it's still effective enough to add shock it's uh, and that what I that's what I think is so valuable about this movie and why I it stands so strong it, why it stands out so strongly for me is the fact that there is no misinterpretation of the violence it is absolutely brutal but there is a necessary point to it I think we've basically been discussing the necessary point this entire time because I mean yes there are some plot devices he was affected because um, as a child by slasher man who uh in a random act of violence well i mean it wasn't completely random because he did plan to kill but he killed his mother in front of him and it was on his Christmas. first i mean it, it was very specific and special to him and like i said there's no it was the beginning of the art well i mean there's no way that we could openly discuss this in the fashion that you and i like to do on this show without getting deep and involved into it and if you haven't seen the movie at this point, I'm I'm deeply sorry because we have just don't listen to podcasts if you haven't seen the fucking movie, or unless you just want to like if you that's fine if you don't care about spoilers and things like that. But why the fuck are you gonna listen to? I've never seen this before. Just say if it's good or bad, and if I should watch it. Now nah, fuck that. This is the whole point about it, is talking about the movie as a whole through all of it. Through every little detail. I guess if I can say anything, we're trying to add an appreciation to something that we hope you've seen, and that's the reasoning that you're looking into this to possibly learn more about it. But once you get to the old switcheroo and you find out what's going on, and again, I compared it to something like Parasite, because you do have such a, a twist. You've been given the hint the entire time that this is personal to him, but you don't really... There's so much hyper-violence, and it's so realistic and chaotic, you don't take time to piece things together, which is... What's happening to the characters? None of them are thinking about what they've learned or some of the things that have uh, been told to them along the way. Like, Jordana Brewster's character is writing a book about the actual people who were murdered. The the real victims, one of which you find out the very first victim is Jesse's mom. I keep saying Jesse. It's, it's Jesse Williams who plays it, but the character's name is Todd. So I'm I'm sorry if you're confused throughout the entire episode. The first victim being Todd's mother, and he's not aware of this. You get a very brief glimpse at what possibly could be happening when Jordana Brewster's character, Kathy, is interviewing somebody at a gas station, and you find out later on during the fan signing scene that he says something about the first victim's son being catatonic after the murder and being shipped away to an orphanage. So if you piece it together like a game of Clue, you'll realize that it's been Todd the entire time. But at the grand unveiling, once you're at Slasher Man, the I-90 murderer's house, and all of his friends are exposed literally and their guts hanging out, his girlfriend is dead and it's just miserable and awful, it finally connects. And when it does, it's like fireworks. It's like, oh man, this is great. And to me, it's better than like you get that masking at the end of Halloween and Michael Myers is just a dude. 
at least in this situation, there was there was payoff, you know, and I'm not trying to say that Jay Banana has made a better movie than John Carpenter's Halloween, but it, to me, it, I've seen everything so much, and I've been so exposed to Halloween, as you have the audience, Alexander Nash, it's not as effective anywhere as it used to be, and being able to capitalize off of that recipe without making something like fucking Scream, hats off, man, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing about the movie is it took a general basic idea like a slasher film and made it have meaning in it again, made it have importance, uh, took away this bullshit concept that um, slasher your fodder should be an annoying college assholes that I want to see die. No, I want real people that I care about. I want their deaths to mean something. And seeing these characters who, albeit might be a little paper thin at times, I still care about them because they seem like real people. They don't seem like they just popped off of a uh, a CW show at some point just to get a like a start in their career. This is like real people, and like there's real stakes to having like witness their deaths like they have families this kind of sucks for everyone involved well it's like you pointed out henry portrait of a serial killer and i think that is a really good example of of the type of vein this movie comes from because you don't know any of the victims outside of the one at the end of the movie well two at the end of the movie because one of your leads is killed everyone that is killed is completely randomly and it's horrifying the home invasion scene is the one that always sticks out the most to me and I feel there's an homage to that sequence in this film itself but it's just so chaotic you feel heartbroken because it's realistic and you can almost connect to that and there's a poignant scene with Jordana Brewster's character and the assistant where the assistant asks well, it, 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 why is it weird that she's smiling in this picture and Brewster's character, Kathy, states something around the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, it, it, they don't know they're going to die. It's just an innocent smile. And we know and have the crime scene photos, and we can see how horrifying it is, but you know, you, you don't know how random and how awful life can actually be. It just happens. And it's something, like with the introduction of the three youngsters that are the very first kills in the movie, they're all laughing and they're happy and they're you know a little argumentative with each other, but it's all in good jest and they're all happy. And then randomly... But again, very realistic. These are very realistic characters. Even though we're only experiencing them for a few minutes before they're killed, it seems like a real situation that they are in. Yeah, they're just genuine people getting into genuine situations. There's nothing extravagant or decadent about it. And then when the violence happens, it's something that you don't think about. And I've seen a lot of reviews where people talk about how that's kind of unrealistic, that somebody just wouldn't pop up on the side of the road and kill you. May I offer you the DC snipers? May I offer you that entire situation of people at craft stores and getting gas who were minding their own business that got shot in the fucking head with the .30-06 by a random person who targeted them for absolutely no reason outside of them being standing within their vision. Isn't that just of the fucking nature, though, of a serial killer? It's usually random. It does, well, I mean, you've got like, oh, well, Ted Bundy had a type, and these serial killers always go after blah, blah, blah. It, that doesn't always mean something. The serial killer has what's ever in Not their always. head. Well, I mean, they have a type in their fucking head. It, why should that matter to you, the specifications of why they're doing it? What do you mean? No one's just going to stop on the side of the road and kill you. Yes, people do that, and they have for years. Before the invention of the car, they were called fucking highwaymen. I mean, for God's sake. What do you sakes. think missing people, like, go... When people are, like, missing persons. Have you watched a single fucking episode of Unsolved Mysteries? Like, at all? Do you know who Robert Stack is? It's baffling. Whatever, I choose not to read reviews because, uh, 
I don't know. Most modern horror review shit is just, is, uh, I can't stand most of it because they get really rely so much on their college degree and uh, getting into some psychology shit that I'm not so sure that they completely understand. I don't understand the negativity that this movie's receiving whatsoever. Maybe I'm just a, a jaded idiot bastard and I'm just tired of whatever Blumhouse is putting out with jump scares this week and I want something with a little bit of substance. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to tell you outside of, I thought this was amazing, and you and I have very similar, but I think different tastes, and it's something like how I mentioned, I I think this is better than Relic. If you go back and listen to that show, it's not that I had anything negative to say about it, but I, I was nowhere near the level of excitement I am tonight, because I got more out of this movie, and I think it, it's just the reality of death. I think it's the shock, and that's something that I crave and I miss when it comes to horror. I miss actually being scared. And it's not an ooky spooky ghost or a late-at-night dark jump scare. It, it's just the reality of how random death is and how visceral these we kills are. We didn't even are. call it scary as much as it is fucking disturbing, and that is like the true mark of a horror film. Like I'm never interested in scary because scary is, especially when you're this deep entrenched into the genre, scary is not scary anymore. Jump scares are not scary. But, like, disturbed is very scary. I mean, I can get behind concepts being frightening, though. Like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre still scares me. The Exorcist still. If I'm watching that alone, I'm going to get spooked out. But then there are even more recent things, like The Strangers. If I'm watching that movie alone in the dark... I'm going to get up and lock the door just because I'm a little nervous. There's a few scenes that really ap apply to all of your senses, and random act of violence is, is not even in that ballpark. What, to me, makes it scary is that it's a, it's a person. It's applying that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you'll never know who they are. It could be the gas station attendant. You don't know who this guy is. You have some of the, the vacant memories that Todd is projecting to you, and, uh, like, the fact what that he— goes down to his—, his... His slasher outfit, which is just like a leather apron and a welder's mask. At first, again, I was just like, well, that's a little banal. That's just kind of a, kind of a bland outfit for a slasher villain to have until you kind of start realizing throughout watching the movie. It's like, eh, okay, that's kind of the fucking point because that's what this shit would be. It's human. It's not going to be a whole thought out fucking like chrome hockey mask type situation bullshit. This is like, oh. This is what real people would be doing if they were really, like, you know, trying to be some sort of a slasher-style villain. They would piece together just some crap costume. Let's look at, like, some of the things that have happened the last few years in our reality, like the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand and how that guy was dressed. How some of these people that are literally going out and crossing state lines to murder other people are dressing in these combat fatigues with these wild and crazy masks and these things from the hunting sections on Kmart.com that they're fucking stocking up on. It, it's it, it's just masked horror killings, uh, killers. It's just masked villains, and that's what most of these people do. They come up with some costume to go shoot up a church for some stupid fucking Nazi ideology that is just baffling to me, but that's not the point of this rant here. It's just the fact that all these people have to have a, another identity. I mean, he was an artist, right? The the I-90 killer, the actual killer in this movie, and that's what you find out in this wonderful, brutal scene at the end of the movie where all of Todd's friends, his girlfriend is laid out and their organs are displayed, that this killer felt uh, uh, safety. He felt peace through his story being immortal and told by Todd, that his art would live forever, as it usually does. People will always remember the art, but never the artist. And that's what, I guess, is, is 
immortality. I guess that's what is sought by by most men. So in in one essence, Todd and a killer are very similar because they're chasing that immortality, but no one quite ever understands your reasoning for doing this, your reason for seeking this immortality. So the killer has his ending, and Todd is not able to come up with his, and it's a conflict of interest truly between the two, and I don't think... I think the one of the most beautiful things is the unfulfilling ending, is the fact that the story never is going to get told, that everything will be destroyed and everything will burn. But again, isn't that life? And it suits the title once more, Random Act of Violence, because everything is just so chaotic and random. You can't quite put your finger on the pulse, but that is what was horrifying about slashers. That's what made the genre stand out. That's what was so exciting about being able to go to a movie. I mean, God, like Maniac. I mean, you don't expect anything that's going to happen in that movie. Women getting scalped and stapling heads to, to dummies. I mean, it's just completely baffling. You've got that wonderful disco boy scene where he blows Tom Savini's head off. The violence, you know, it's old. It's exciting because it's just so random and it's so realistic. It's just in your face, and that's something that helps. In certain occasions, we've babbled and, and, and gotten angry over violence for the sake of violence, and we've talked about things like a Serbian film endlessly. But in this essence, you have just a a ballet of violence, just one of the most exquisite displays of awful There's natural violence. There's a point violence. to it. It's not exactly. just over-the-top violence for no purpose whatsoever. It's meant to evoke a certain emotion, and it's meant and it's to say something about the true nature of violence. It's not. It's not a gimmick. It's not just there to like act like you know basically get suppressed for your film. It's it's really informing the entire narrative of the film itself. And its decadent nature, I think, really is what powers it. Uh, you don't need too much of the story. You, you, Like you said, you've got a good story, but the plot here is kind of what matters the most, and the evolution of these characters in such a small time period. And when people are picked off, you don't really have... You don't have time to feel bad, because you're just... You're stuck in reality, and that's what pays off. This is taking horror to a new level, I think. I really, I think Jay Baklava has done something different and something refreshing that is needed in the horror community, needed in, in horror in general. And I mean, Ooh, you're going to piss them off. Oh, you're going to piss them off now. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and that's the whole thing. And I, I, I don't, I avoid the reviews, I avoid Twitter. Alexander Nash is our Twitter guy, so please don't get mad at him. Come find me on other social media and yell at me. I don't care who has done what. I mean, yeah, I think Jordan Peele has done some absolutely amazing things that have changed horror. But I think what Jay has offered here is... This is a fan-level thing, and this is something that I feel somebody has taken a lot of time as a fan, as a fan of horror, as a fan of the horror scene and the genre, and somebody that has watched and seen the community. And Jay's a famous guy. He has dealt with toxic toxicity through fandoms, I would say, most of his life. And I think he's made a very apt statement on it, and I don't want to challenge or get us canceled or cause a problem, but I think a lot of the people that have a problem with this are people that have a problem with everything. And people that will have a problem with everything. And that's a theme in this movie, that no matter what, someone's going to find a problem with something every single time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's apples at the grocery store or a new horror movie or a Disney princess being a different color than people like it being. People are going to find a fucking problem with whatever. Well, so I, I, mean, I bite my tongue. I think the problem is he is considered to be somewhat of an outsider to the horror 
scene and I mean, what is that who he's cares just gonna come in and like try to like we've been working in it for years and we've been struggling we've been doing our indie thing for years i mean but how do you know he doesn't have every single fangoria under his bed just like you do how do you it know it doesn't, doesn't matter he's famous that's the problem yeah. <laughs> it's the problem is he's had a career outside of horror and now he's gonna come in and try to do something within horror yes because he will draw attention to horror and it won't be such an insular community. It's called expanding. You have to expand it to a wider audience. It's good to have more people in horror. It's good to have all kinds of people in horror. But if Quentin Tarantino stepped in again to make a third horror movie in his career, would anybody have a problem with it? I mean, nobody arched a brow and said anything about how god-awful the Grindhouse film him and Rodriguez made was. I like From Dust Till Dawn, so I'll fucking digging my own grave with this. But, I mean, that's an outsider stepping in. And I, I don't get... I just don't get it. I bite my thumb at these people. I have no fucking idea how angry they get over minuscule things. And I don't think anything that Jay has said or has done with press release and talking about this film was out of line and inappropriate. I feel people read he into said things. It's an incredibly generic line. It was incredibly generic because it was basically... I just don't think there have been that many great horror films lately, and I, I just kind of want to make horror like I want to make a, a horror film that's scary again. That's pretty much what he said, and it and I just agree. well, that's shitting on everybody's making horror films. And I'm like, well, not really. I mean, maybe he just hasn't enjoyed a lot of the things that have been in horror because hell, I haven't enjoyed a lot of the things in horror in the last 20 years. There have been a lot of shit movies. There's been some good ones, too. I mean, I think it's more of a vague statement. And here, I mean, this goes into a personal conversation you and I have almost every single night. Hey, have you watched anything good lately? I've been surfing Tubi for three hours, and I'm just watching home invasion movies. And that's, I feel, uh, most of a horror fan's life. Unless you're la-di-da and you get screeners all the time, most of us sit and try and find something. Watch 10 minutes of it and it sucks. Who knows? But with all all the streaming, everything we have, everyone being able to make a movie because they have a camera, and I'm not trying to talk bad about goddamn indie directors or chasing your dream, but you end up going through so much garbage just to try and find one good thing. And uh, between me and you, uh, every single night, I can't find something to watch. This sucks, blah, blah, blah. Out of all of these things, out of such a vacant statement, I agree with him. I think it's a true fact that horror has become generic and everything is some throwback to the 80s. What we have with Jay Baba Ganoush is the fact that he presented violence to us in a refreshing, realistic manner that I thought was scary, I thought was horrifying, and I can't help but agree with that statement. And it's just not trying to appease the masses or cause problems or cause strife because I've always been overly fucking opinionated on this show, but horror isn't horror anymore. Well, I mean, he made a disturbing film, and he made a film that isn't just, like, it's not about horror. It's about, like, a bunch of different things. It's not just meant to be scary. It's meant to be disturbing, and it has a point to it. It's saying something about culture. It's saying something about violence. It's saying something about... um our culture, how it celebrates violence and how it, like, um, specifically the scene in the radio station of guys been writing this comic book and it becomes this kind of, you know, Freddy Krueger type character for people. People are like kind of worshiping him on the convention scene. And the, the guy who's interviewing the disc jockey knows one of the actual, um, killers victims and has a picture and points it out and say, what, what, I saw her that day. I saw her the day that she got killed. 
and you're just going to exploit her the way you've exploited her. And it's really like, and it's not condemning horror fans as much as it's condemning fan culture, as much as condemning um, celebration of. It's condemning cultural toxicity. I mean, that's what I think it's a statement on in general is how these things, how certain things become cultural identity and how people find a representation behind them when they're in fact incredibly toxic and the toxic meaning behind them is left out and completely forgotten. There shouldn't be an adoration for Slasher Man, but some people, and this is where Todd screws up, find him to be a hero. And of course, he's speaking marginally, using it as a writer's term, that it's the hero, it's the protagonist, it doesn't mean anything, but other people, unfortunately, see it to be incredibly heroic. And that's the same stigma and problem we face in real life, where, you know, you bring up to somebody that, yeah, Freddy Krueger fucked the kids, and then he killed them. And you have a giant sleeve of that on your arm tattooed permanently into your flesh. You don't think that, would you do, like, Ted Bundy? Would you do John Wayne Gacy? I mean, because what's the difference between the reality? Because Gacy's pretty much the same as something like Freddy Krueger, but one spectrum is horrifying and awful and he deserves to be dead, and then the other one's tattooed on your arm. So it is playing devil's advocate with what I feel some of the themes are and some of the representations that Jay has, has put forward in the movie, because... People don't want to hear that. I mean, and it's something obviously we're going to face with this episode. And I mean, shit, me shit talking for years, but uh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. But I, I, you know, I don't know what else to say because it's just frustrating that you, it, you can view one thing with all this appreciation, but you can't view the other thing for what it actually is and the the reality behind the horror. You're just excited to see people die and get massacred, but when there's a meaning and a point to it, suddenly the poignancy's lost. It confuses me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just... I think that the 80s and what happened to horror in the 80s and 90s really changed what horror was about. And I think we're slowly starting to turn that corner again. And we're going right back around to the other direction of where horror is actually has themes. It's not just a slumber party, good time. It's, um, it's about actual thoughts, feelings and issues, and probably some more of the more like deeper meditations on culture, as opposed to just, celebrating pop culture as it has for the last 20 or 30 years, where that's all it's been is just like wallowing in its own bullshit. And now I think we're like breaking out of that and getting into some more important themes like horror was originally designed to kind of do in the sixties and seventies. And it's a good thing, but it'll, it'll fucking boomerang around again. I mean, that's just how these, uh, these things work in the long run. But right now, I think we're just in an interesting place in horror, and people are starting to do some interesting things. Again, we'll see how long it lasts. The Conjuring to the left of me, Lars von Trier's to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with douches. That's my observation on what horror has been the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, I, I don't know what the direction is. I'm not trying to say guys like Jordan Peele aren't changing the game. They certainly are. I thought The Lighthouse was the best movie that came out last year. I think it's fucking amazing. I love The Eggman. I love Robert Eggert. I love Hereditary. I love some of this new dark Polanski-esque. God, I hate fucking esque terms. I hate saying shit like that. I love the direction of it. But then you have something that's so visceral and... It's hard trying to find, I guess, good terms how I want to to wrap this up talking about random acts of violence because I don't think that it's a lower level than some of these movies quite like um, Hereditary, for example. But I think there is a much more 
chaotic caveman nature to this than some of these more artful and thoughtful movies that you have to take a lot of time observing and look deeply into the background and what you're dealing with and what you're exposed to here is a very well, I would visceral... put it on, on I put it on the same level as something like um, last year with uh, Jordan Peele's Us. It's a horror film that is examining different concepts, different ideas, and interpret like you know really getting into horror and ideas, but at the same time celebrating horror and not giving up a sort of marketability almost, a, a sort of like a enjoyment for enjoyment's sake and not just about these issues. So I think that's like, I would give it a, like it's a four out of five for me. Um, I think it has some technical issues um, in the long run, some tonal issues here and there. Um, but I mean, four out of five is, I mean, that's fucking excellent. Overall, I think that like some of them probably financial um, errors and some of that, but it's filmed really well in the long run, though. I mean, they took what they had and made it look pretty goddamn impressive for what I'm assuming is not a very large budget whatsoever. I hope this makes sense and doesn't come off insulting, but I think there's almost a childlike aspect and nature to this film. And a lot of what you're introduced to and a lot of the horrifying things that Todd has experienced in his life and ends up becoming a reflection in his artwork are from his child memories. I mean, you get one establishment that he went catatonic afterwards, so he's not in touch with that piece of his mind anymore, and he's not in touch with that piece of himself. So everything is almost like it's from the eyes of a child. Everything has this innocent aspect to it until violence is randomly committed. You see these characters attempting to be human, attempting to deal with these situations and these problems, and it's just not what you're used to. You're used to a bunch of college-level kids going and getting drunk and fucking and getting high until they're picked off one by one. So what you're forced to deal with here is reality. What you're forced to deal with is human nature and how awful things can, can really be, and that's what I, I can appreciate. I'll give it a 5 out of 5 because sometimes I'm willing... I mean, it's not like I'm willing to... Technical errors, like in baseball, can be very, very important. Even if you win the game, it doesn't mean that you overall have a good score at the end of the year. But in this case and situation, the amount of emotion I felt, three viewings, three's a lot. I mean, three's a lot for a slasher. Three times going through this, I still felt the same amount of shock, the same amount of dismay, the same amount of heartbreak. I tip my hat to Jay Bagels. I really was impressed by it, and I think sometimes... Being a critic, the hardest part is is I can always agree with you, but at the same time, I mean, I just felt something different here, and it takes us back to Relic. You and a lot of other audience members had a different feeling and a different representation than what I had, and I felt shock and appall and uh, just dismay watching this film. It's everything I've asked for. It's, it's great. I love it. I, I give it five out of five. One of my rare five out of fives. Not many movies get five out of five for me. Yeah, I can't recall any. Not one at all. Oh, I us is a five out of five. Weekend at Speaking Bernie's of movies. We're talking now. That is definitely not a five out of five. I'll give you a five out of five for us. I'll give you a five out of five for everything Jordan Peele does, even Key and Peele. I'd say Get Out is a five out of five. Agreed. I think The Guest is a five out of five. You know what do you think about Relic? I don't know if we did that on the show. Is that a five out of five? That's probably a five out of five. Uh, and maybe I'm just doing it out of spite. I'll go with four out of five. Just to keep things even. But there you go. You have some proof on <laughs> Death by DVD that we don't just agree with each other consistently. There, There's some differences here. I was a bit more passionate about this than you are, but at the same time, I think both of us being reflective and 
you know, being human and feeling emotion over this, we've covered a lot of ground and had a lot to say about a, a really terrific movie. I mean, sure, some of it's uh, edgy. I think this is better, blah, blah, blah. But take it as you will. Random acts of violence. Find it on Shudder right now. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Thanks for joining us, and this is the beginning of spooky season. Yay! Next week will be more slashers. Slashers out your ass. Hey, that's the name for this month. Slashers out your ass. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. On the next episode of Death by DVD. Slashers out your ass. All month long. Slashers, 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 bloody slashers. Fat ones, skinny ones, some who climb on rocks. Slashers, every week until Halloween on Death by DVD. recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. Here she up. Dick, 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 dick,